1: Talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact Cordell, Cordell Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. You are listening to The Bird Calls. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes, search The Bird Calls, and subscribe today. Fans, welcome to a very quiet and yet celebratory once again. I can't believe this is happening. I don't even know what to say. We're joined by Ali Cosell, Kevin Berrias, David Fisher on his second podcast, all hands on deck. Ali, I have to start with you again. Follow him at Ali Cosell, at fish underscore TVW, and at uh Kevin B for bounce. Ali. We A bunch of us picked the Pelicans to win, but you were the only one with the, with the passion to pick these guys in five and with, with a 2-0 lead heading back to New Orleans. Is this series already done? I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant. Or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact Cordell, Cordell Cordell.com. 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404.
2: I'm going to say it is. I really am. I mean, I liked them. The reason I picked them in five is because I poured over stuff for two days, numbers, everything. And I tried to talk myself out of making such a prediction. I actually wanted to go with Portland, but everything pointed to a press. And so... I'm happy I made it now. I thought I would jinx them or something. But, no, you got to give the uh, Pelicans credit because for a couple things. And I, I'll, I'll let you talk or get the other guys in. But I just wanted to say that to close out that first half being down just five points was huge. And then the way the team team came out in the third and the good fortune they had. Drew Hall, they started off like, you know, like basically a bat out of hell. And then you got Nurkic going down. Suddenly AD's allowed to roam around the rim. So he got his points. And then the way the Pelicans closed out that third, if you guys remember Ian Clark and Darius Miller splashing those threes, you almost felt like it was their game. It started giving them that separation and that confidence.
1: Yeah, let's go over to Kevin next, and then I'm going to throw it over to Fish, who had a correct prediction, uh, I want to say, on Saturday night. So I definitely want to give him some props for that. Kevin, let's talk about the third quarter where everything simply just changed. It was behind Drew Holiday. He had the first seven points. First of all, before we even get to the 33-19 uh, to 19 run that started off with a 19-4 run before Drew Holiday went to the bench with his fourth foul, just Drew Holiday in general had a career playoffs, uh, or, or a playoff career high, excuse me, with something like 31 points and 9 rebounds to go along with his steady, incredible defense. So many plays on both ends of the floor. Uh, The Bird Rise handle, I think it was Fish, posted something along the lines of Anthony Davis. um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Drew Holiday is the second best player in this entire series. And I responded, I think that you can argue he's the best player in this series. At least that's the way he's been playing. What do you have to say to that?
3: I mean, he is out, you know... You know, I made the joke that we gave, uh, we rewarded him with uh, his contract for his playoff performance. We just hadn't seen it yet. You know, like <laughs> this was an insane performance and it was great last last game too. And I mean, obviously Anthony Davis is the better player, but in this series, Drew Holiday has been just as important, if not more important, especially considering the strengths of the Portland Trail Blazers are their, their backcourt and uh, Drew's defense has, you know, Basically, you know, shut them down. Um, and we've seen we're seeing good defense from Etuan Moore and Rondo as well on that end. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you can't say enough about Drew's play offensively, but especially defensively. Um, he was amazing in the third quarter and in the first as well.
1: Yeah, just to echo something that Kevin just said, uh, Drew Holiday not only offensively was the trigger that got the Pelicans going, he also held Dame and CJ last game to 13-41 of 41 shooting. This game, not much better, 16-39. to 39. I want to go over to Fish because we assumed that uh, Rajan Rondo was going to play well in this series. Our greatest fear was that he was going to get taken advantage of by faster guys like Shabazz Napier. Shout out to Will Ogburn for correcting me on the pronunciation there. Uh, Dame Lillard, CJ McCollum, that hasn't really been the case because you correctly predicted he was going to go one-on-one with evan turner evan turner again a zero tonight zero of six every time he's on the floor the pelicans make a quick run uh how surprised are you not only in the prediction that you made that that Rashan rondo would go against these guys who who needed to attack the paint and just expect a help defender would come over and and alleviate whatever stress he was realizing but that the blazers haven't been able to play him off the floor yet
0: yeah you know as um it happened in the first game, and then before, I I think uh, Turner, he would, they said he was out, because I was watching the team. Yeah, it's a shoulder. It. They said he was yeah,
1: out. Shoulder with shoulder injury.
0: Uh, mm-hmm, but w- in the first quarter, um, the Blazers kind of started out doing pretty well, and then their offense starts to gum up, and what is it? There's a mismatch. They're trying to go to Evan Turner in the post against Rondo, turnover, and a missed shot, and... I mean, that's that's the biggest thing right now is as long as they want to play Evan Turner, it gives such a good place to hide Rondo. And it's not just, oh, we're trying to hide Rondo so he can kind of roam, but they're putting Rondo on him and it's baiting the Blazers into doing things they should not be doing. And that's, that's really working for the Pelicans because it's getting the ball out of Dame's hands. It's getting the ball out of Lillard's hands, and that gives – both Davis and Miritich a little bit of rest as well because they're being asked to do so much defensively so every single time the Portland Trail Blazers want to slow it down and just try to post up um, Evan Turner on Rondo the Pelicans will take that every single possession every single time they want to do it the Pelicans will thank them and just ask them please do it again more Evan Turner shots more
1: Ali, the Blazers were leading in pretty much every category in the first half. Of course, the second half was completely different. In the first half, they had 34 points in the paint, and they had 30 rebounds, 11 of them offensively. In the second half, they had just 12 points in the paint and just 15 rebounds, only three offensively. Of course, two of them scared the life out of me because they came at the four-minute mark and gave the Blazers that quick tie of 93 apiece. What do you think the Pelicans did or or did differently, uh, I should say. One obvious thing to note is Check Diallo did not play in the second half. He only played four minutes in the first half. But other than that, how did the Pelicans respond and get seemingly every board in the second half winning the battle at that point, to 23-15?
2: Well, David kind of already touched on it. The the
1: Trailblazers started
2: off with a very good game plan. They attacked the Pelicans attacking um, double teams whenever CJ or Dame had the ball anywhere on the perimeter and they were going to try and set a screen by either sending the uh, guy that's sending the pick hard to the the rim or they had a cutter coming in through somewhere. And so they had a lot of movement. They had a lot of lanes. And uh, if they missed the shot, guess what? There was somebody there to clean it up. I mean, their activity looked so good that I was worried. And like I said, it was amazing that the Pelicans were only down five at halftime, but after halftime, you didn't see any of that. None of that. They went through these stretches where you honestly were wondering what the heck are they doing? I mean, like I'm just going to recall in the fourth quarter where um, Damien comes up to court and just launches a long three. You know, It's almost as though they the pressure got to them, the uh, Pelicans' defense. It, it was a combination of things for me, personally. Um, you can't really just name it on one thing. But I, like I said, when Holiday came out in those first few minutes on fire, then Nurkic, who started off well after a very good first half, he actually dominated the paint. And that's what led the Blazers having that huge advantage. But once he left the game... It, it was just honestly just like a flip of a switch, Preston. They just, they just withered up and died. And, you know, they haven't been shooting well, so that was part of the problem too. These guys just haven't had that level of confidence for weeks now. And then, you know, you're throwing out Holiday out there, who's like a pit bull, AD's arms, and Nikola Miritich, wow. He had a couple of very key defensive plays right there in that third quarter too that, you know, went
1: from a tie game to give the Pelicans like a 5-7 point lead. So it was a lot of things, Preston. Let's expand on those two guys because uh, we we're going to talk enough about Drew Holiday and what he's meant to this series and how I believe he the MVP of the series. And I said that beforehand. I thought that Anthony Davis was going to get the most points. And so he was going to get all the acclaim, even though Drew did all the little things, but Drew is doing it on both ends. And that's shocking, I think, to everybody, even his most ardent supporters. But with that being said, we're going to talk about those two guys at length. Let's focus right now on Rajan Rondo and Nikola Meritage. I'm going to start with Rondo, Kevin Berrios. This guy came to life specifically in the fourth quarter, but in the third quarter too, engineering that run. But there were a couple of possessions. There was there was one that Joel Myers lost his mind over we was kind of probing through the lane as he does the shot clocks winding down doesn't even look behind him just cross courts I, I can't remember where he was he was somewhere around like the 16 foot mark finds drew holiday cutting under the basket in a split second for an easy uh put uh, an easy basket right right at the cup and He's just seeing things unfold, and I know that it has a lot to do with the film that he's watching in advance of these contests. Uh, of course, Drew Holliman Anthony Davis has commented about it. and At some points, he's so smart, he's even outsmarting himself, like when he did that behind the back pass to Anthony Davis, who was running alongside him, who I'm sure was expecting the lob. Why does it seem that Rajon Rondo, at least offensively, is one step ahead of everybody right now?
3: Yeah, I mean, he's – we. I mean, that's not much of a shock in terms of his playmaking ability. You know, we knew that he has that ability and that he steps it up in big games, especially on that end. Um, but for me, it's been his his defense being solid enough to, you know, work against the guards that that Portland throws out there. And he's able to hang with them. He's not getting beat. He's uh, stripping people. And the other thing is just the hustle plays. You're looking at um, – him getting 10 rebounds tonight and keeping possessions alive and, and tipping balls and diving out of bounds to save balls on the baseline. Those kind of things are really what, you know, are the things that you don't see from him all the time. Uh, And that's, you know, when he gets in people's dog houses, they say, you know, he can't defend. He he doesn't try hard in every game or whatever, but he's, he's out there hustling. And uh, that's the biggest thing, because we know he's an incredible passer and we know he sees the floor. Like two steps ahead. It's that's been his career, and that's um, you know been echoed since you know the off season here. Ever even in the um, you know these guys had limited time together in training camp and in the summer when we went to um, media day, and that's what every player said. They're like he's like three three passes ahead in his head. He knows where everybody's at. He knows where the ball's going to go two two touches after his touch. So. You know, that to me, that's not surprising. It's just all the other things that he's doing. And I mean, how big was that three from the corner that he hit? You know, that basically sealed the game for us. So when you get that kind of play out of him scoring wise and defensively and hustle, then, you know, it's it's hard to beat this team.
1: Ali, uh, Jason just submitted the recap, so why don't you leave us for a minute? I'm going to focus on Fish and Kevin uh, in the meantime. Okay. And, of course, uh, Et- uh, or Kevin was referring to that loose ball that Rajan Rondo managed to wrestle away. Etuan Moore missed those two free throws, got his own putback, was uncontested. It was incredible that nobody boxed him out. He got right to the cup, but he ended up missing it. Loose ball, Rajon Rondo dives for it, gets it, passes it to Moore. It ends up coming back to him, gets that corner three that pretty much sealed it. Fish, uh, expand on Rondo if you want. But I also want to focus on Nikola Meritich. not just what he did offensively with that rainbow three-pointer that seemingly went 30 feet in the air. But tonight, he shut down guys like Zach Collins, Yusuf Nurkic, Damian Lillard, CJ McCollum, whoever came at him. He gave them a hell of a time getting a basket. How good has he been defensively?
0: Well, the thing that Merit- that I love that we're getting from Meritich is – miritich just he makes this simple right play he's not he's not terribly flashy defensively he just gets into the right spot he challenges the shot and he makes it hard and that's and and it's it sounds simple but defensively that's all they really need from the big that plays along anthony davis because anthony davis is behind there and He's terrifying, and it changes how everyone attacks the basket, how they attack the second big that's on the floor, that they're going to be more willing to kind of take a step back jumper or something like that because, hey, even if I get past Miritich, guess what? Anthony Davis is lurking behind that. So if I can just get a little bit of an opening, I'll take it. Miritich is defending with that in mind, and I think that is a big thing that is helping him um, succeed is the fact that he knows Anthony Davis is back there. They don't even really want to beat me off the dribble because they know if they do, he's going to lurk. So in that respect, Miritich has been great going back to your point about Rondo. The biggest thing for me on Rondo is the fact that when he drives and the defense sucks up and collapses to Anthony Davis on his role, David, Rondo is willing to attack and shoot. And we've seen a lot of it, especially his um, wrong foot layup that he does on the left side with his right hand, getting it up on the glass quick. Um, We've seen a lot more of those shots than we'd saw, you know, maybe not in the last week of the regular season, but before that, Rondo has been much more aggressive looking for his own shot, but looking for his own shot in a very narrow perspective when he gets that opening when he can tell that they're not that that they're giving him the shot they're daring him to take the shot rather than have anthony davis take it he's taking that shot and he's making enough of those layups that is punishing them because he doesn't have to shoot a great percentage even if they are layups he just has to shoot enough that it's going to open anthony davis up for the lob or you know for the dump off and that that to me is the one of the biggest differences between playoff Rondo and regular season Rondo is playoff Rondo, when they give him the lane, and it's there, he's going to take it, and he's going to make those layups. Whereas in the regular season, he might have been hesitant, he might have dribbled up underneath the basket, and reset or something like
1: that. Yeah, definitely. I I know you're referring to assist hunting as well, and we caught a couple of examples of that during the regular season. No, he kind of lulls a defender to sleep, uh, kind of giving a, a- purveying i guess the scene around him and then if a guy turns his head towards anthony davis or towards a shooter rajan Rondo takes them right off the dribble and takes it right to the glass something that he's been very effective doing i think he got about 13 points tonight uh and a lot of it was on those drives And not all of them fell of course the pelicans struggled to shoot in the first half but boy was he effective when the pelicans needed him most as was drew holiday we'll continue on that before we get to drew holiday in my opinion the player of the series so far kevin we needed some some production, just a little bit of production from the bench. Of course, our big four was doing everything offensively, and Etwan Moore, I think, was giving the defense that the Pelicans sorely needed out on the wing as well. But off the bench, we, we just weren't getting enough from guys like Solomon Hill and Sheck Diallo. And for a great long while there, we weren't getting much from Ian Clark or Darius Miller either until the end of the third quarter. After that 19 and four run, the Blazers closed the gap to just three. It was 81 78. I can't remember exactly. Oh, yeah, it was 10 to two, was the run that the Blazers were on. And then it was followed by back to back three pointers by Ian Clark and Darius Miller. Kevin, we're not asking a lot of the bench, just some of these clutch baskets when we need them. How big were those back to back threes?
3: That was huge. I mean, Ian Clark had a pretty bad game overall. I mean, he's one for five, uh, but that one that he hit was, was, You know, it was absolutely crucial at that point in the game. And Darius Miller played better than he has been playing. He was very efficient, obviously, going three or four, um, you know, and getting eight points in 15 minutes. But still, we need uh, more consistency from those guys, and we need them to contribute in other ways, too. You know, you're seeing, you know, Darius was out there for 15 minutes and only got one rebound. You know, you're not seeing assist from these guys right now. I mean, Clark had three, which is okay. but. Um, you know, we need, we definitely need a a bench guy to really step up and it hasn't happened so far. I think Diallo hasn't gotten an, enough time. I think he could still contribute a little bit. Um, cause you do need to spell Anthony Davis and Miritich at some point. Um, but you know, in his four minutes, he didn't do anything, but he didn't really hurt you that bad either. He was, but he was not out there with ideal lineups that much either in this series yet. So um, I still hope that he can have a little bit of a breakthrough game. So going into the next round, which, you know, I mean, not to get ahead of ourselves, but when you sweep the first, you know, the first two in, in Portland that, you know, it looks good g- going into the next round. I mean, we have to worry a little bit about Miritich's ankle, what he hurt at the very end. He looked okay, but you never know how those things are going to react. Um, You know, after after you stop moving. So hopefully everything's good. I don't know if anything's been announced yet on on that end. But um, yeah, I mean, we definitely need somebody else. Um, More was solid tonight, um, you know, but we need somebody else to provide some points when uh, things bog down and we start resting, you know, our big three.
1: Definitely. And Kevin, of course, is referring to the the two times that Nicole Meritage turned his ankle. One was following a jumper where he kind of fell into the crowd. And it looked like he either slipped on a wet spot or maybe stepped on a, a patron's foot. And then as he was jogging back up court, he looked back and I thought maybe it was malicious. But after looking at the replay, it, it seemed like it, it wasn't at all. He just Misstep. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how it took place and then on a couple of possessions later at the end of the fourth quarter uh, he came down with a rebound and it was actually kind of a scary sight the way that his left ankle just kind of turned under itself but eventually he was able to continue in the game the Pelicans called a timeout and he finished it out so Best wishes to him. Some people on Twitter, like hashtag uh, ad for mvp are all already calling for some of the Pelicans uh, starters to get some rest in Game 3. I assure you they will not. The Pelicans need to finish this out. And the sooner they finish this out, they're not going to start any games before May 1st, unless whoever their potential opponent would be, Golden State, also sweeps, in which case I guess that's a, a high probability. Anyway, uh, Ali, whenever you're done, chime back in. I'm going to throw it back to Fish. Ali picked this one uh, to be a bit a, a bit more in the air fish because of free throw shooting. The the Blazers have relied on free throw shooting for a large part of the regular season. CJ and Dame were getting 12 or 11, sorry, uh by themselves on average, and you could tell the Blazers fans were really distressed with the way that this game was called. The Pelicans got 19 foul shots to just their 10, and there were a couple of turnovers and uh Uh, uh, deflections that didn't go their way. Did you think, other than the Evan Turner uh, backcourt foul, did you think that this was, for the most part, an evenly called game?
0: You know, there were, I want to say, probably three or four calls right on the baseline, on, like, tipped passes and things like that, where it looked like, from the angle that we got, and I was watching TNT, so I don't know the angle that they were giving you guys on Fox Sports. But the angle that I was looking at, it looked like it should have been Portland ball, and it and, and instead they gave it to New Orleans. But the thing was is that they never went back and showed the replay from a different angle or a, clo- a closer angle. So all I had really to go on was, you know, the, the sideline angle that they're given usually that they do the majority of the broadcast to, and then the reaction from the players, and all of those plays happened – right in front of the Portland bench and the Portland bench was incensed on each of those. And maybe it was just because I think, what was it like maybe Portland took their first free throw of the entire game with two Played minutes in the third. to go in the, yeah. in the second quarter, I think is what they said, which is insane. Like if, and and some of that is just welcome to the playoffs. They're not going to call a lot of stuff. Um, Dame and CJ, they're not getting to the foul line a lot because they're trying to shoot around or over Anthony Davis rather than going into him and drawing contact. So no, you're not going to get a foul call because you're not getting bumped. There's no foul call to be called. And that's kind of been an, an argument against the Pelicans guards for years is the fact that Pelicans guards avoided contact rather than seeking it out. From what I'm seeing, as a Pelicans fan, I'm seeing that the Pelic, that the Portland players are so intimidated by the presence of Anthony Davis that rather than go into him, draw contact, and make the official have to make a call, they're avoiding contact with Anthony Davis, trying to shoot around him, trying to shoot over him, settling for floaters. And all of those situations give it to the point where you're making it easy on the refs. There's no contact. There's no call to be made. But at the same time, contorting themselves around somebody like Anthony Davis with a seven-foot, what, it's five, seven-foot, six-inch wingspan at this point, they're shooting much more difficult shots. And so they're missing a lot of shots that typically they would make, and it is the playoffs. All the defense is much more locked in. We've seen that from the Pelicans and the Blazers throughout this series so far. That... Oh there isn't a lot there. They're just, there's not calls to be made on that, but you know, from what I saw, especially on the tip balls on the baseline on the left side of the court, right in front of Portland, it did look like probably three or four calls went Pelican's way. And that might've been, you know, a little beneficial for the Pelicans in terms of the officiating, but from the way I see it, from how the season played out, you know what, the Pelicans kind of deserve it at this point.
1: Uh, I want to remain impartial on this, so I'm going to throw it over to Kevin. Uh, I was lucky enough to have Joel Myers in my in my headset, and I, I think he's one of the better guys in the game, and I really respect all of his uh, all of his banter, like "Oh, CJ" gets away with a nice carry. I always enjoy that back and forth that he has with uh, David Wesley, and his kind of comment towards the officiating. With that being said, uh, pretty much on every call throughout the game, Joel and David were very confident that they were getting it right. With the lone exception being that Evan Turner backcourt foul. Kevin, uh, we also had the benefit of having, you know, homers in our ears and Joel Myers and David Wesley from where you were watching the game. Did you think like the game was was officiated, uh, uh, tilted towards one side?
3: No, I mean, I, I agree with what David was, was saying about Portland, not getting why they weren't getting to the line, especially once, you know, Nurkic was gone because the interior presence was gone and that's where you're going to be drawing those files inside. And then look, I mean, Drew Holiday was gotten file trouble early. It's not like they weren't calling files. Um, so, you know, he, he was when he picked up that charge, it was, you know, he was flirting with disaster there um, because he had four files and he could have uh, easily gotten called for a fifth. I mean, it was, the charge was the right call, but you never know how that's going to go. So, I mean, I agree. And I I feel like, um, you know, there were a a couple of, I would say maybe two of those calls could have gone either way. It was tough to tell um, whether they were uh, who they went off of, you know, like that, especially that one where it was sort of that, raggedy play all over where etuan kicked it back across the you know basically across court and and harkless maybe touched it or didn't touch it it was hard to tell from that angle if he did touch it or not i think he did but you know i didn't see anything super definitive at that time so but you know i mean at the end of the day those things happen in games and you just gotta regroup um it happens to us all the time um so it was nice to be on the on the good side of those uh 50-50 calls. Um, For once, it felt like, you know.
1: Yeah, definitely something I, I said in the first half was it seemed to me like in just the first 24 minutes Portland was playing with a lot more physicality and I thought that that's why they were a winning the game and b why the Pelicans were getting the calls because like you said, there was a bunch of instances where these guys were getting easy second chance points they were getting into the paint. Like I said, they had 34 points in the paint in the first half and they were kind of uncontested for the most part. And when they got those easy rebounds, there weren't a lot of hands in their face. Obviously, the story was completely different in the second court or the second half. Sorry. Um, Fish, I I asked this one to Kevin earlier. Obviously, the entire game tilted, uh, not just in this respect, obviously points in the paint were a huge factor. But in terms of rebounding, the Blazers won the advantage in the first half by nine. And, of course, uh, I've done to death that they had 11 offensive and just two in the second half altogether and only 15 rebounds total in the second half. What do you think changed? Well, number one, when Nurkic and they said he was probable to come
0: back but it never seemed like he really got back into the game and i think what happened is either one he wasn't he wasn't healthy enough to get back in or two what's happening is Terry Stotts is playing into the pelicans game plan rather than saying these are the things that we do as the portland trail blazers and we're going to force them to stop it at this point, Portland is looking at the things that the Pelicans are being successful at and thinking we need to stop those things. And by doing that, what the, the, the Trailblazers are doing, what Stotts is doing, is he's taking away his greatest strength, which is the ability to hunt offensive rebounds. If he plays, and we had especially – there was a time in the, in the fourth quarter where we had, he had Aminu as his nominal center. Offensive rebounding is completely out the window at that point. It makes it easier on Anthony Davis. He's roaming all over in the paint at that point, which makes the defense, the Pelicans' defense, even more terrifying because they're willing to. Sh- uh, Aminu had what three or four threes in the in the first half. New Orleans took no mind to that whatever whatsoever. Okay, Aminu's hitting some threes. Have him keep shooting. Can he hit eight can he hit 10 because that's how you're going to beat us we're not going to let dame and we're not going to let dj beat us so what portland's doing by trying to go small which is either a health issue and if the if if nurkich isn't going to be able to go that's going to be a big problem for portland because it means that anthony davis is going to be you know he's going to be fresher throughout the game he doesn't have a 280 pound guy leaning on a all game or if they're doing it schematically, where they're deciding we need to try to take away the things that that New Orleans does, what's really happening is Portland's getting sped up. They're getting out of their game plan. Um, on the TNT broadcast, Brent Berry referred to that multiple times, that <clears throat> the Portland Trailblazers are not playing their type of game. They're playing the Pelicans game. They're playing at the Pelicans pace. They're playing – a lot of one pass possessions and they're hunting early threes. They're swinging for the fences every single time down the floor is what they're doing. And in doing that, number one, like I said, they're taking away that offensive rebounding strength that they're going to have. And two, they're helping the Pelicans get comfortable in the game by making it fast. Once you stop, stop offensive rebounding. Once it's a one shot and done kind of possession, the game gets sped up more. And so the, the Pelicans are really comfortable at this point because we're getting into transition. Anthony Davis is getting some bad cross matches underneath the basket sometimes, getting open threes.
1: Oh, who do we just lose? Kevin, are you with me?
3: I'm with you. I think we lost David.
1: Okay, uh, just to continue on with David, what he was saying, I'm sure he'll be back in a second. Uh, I did feel like the Blazers were super tight, specifically in that first three minutes. They took an early timeout, just two and a half minutes into the game. Uh, You could tell that CJ was pressing throughout the night. He shot just 9 of 21 for 22 points. Of course, Damian Lillard was 7 of 18. These guys, like we said, combined for 16 of 39 after shooting 13 of 41. The first half was completely dictated by Portland and every statistical cap. Category, and everything changed in the second half and yes like he said it became the pelicans game uh, and the blazers kind of acquiesced to that when everything was kind of going their way in the first half i want to get to some questions kevin because it is way past my bedtime i'm going to answer some of these quickly that's probably david back in what's up david we're going to get to some questions and i'm going to ask you some of these i'm going to start with kevin Uh, But some of these uh, from Mogus, thank you for your question. How much should Holidays raise be? Of course, he can't get a raise. He already signed a five-year, heavily incentive-laden, $150 million deal. And it it looks like he's going to get much of those incentives. So uh, it counts against the Pelicans cap whether or not he gets paid. But it looks like he will get paid. Ian McCusker asks, will Cousins sign at 12.01? I think he's going to sign at 12 midnight with one second pass. AD MVP says, is AD going to get some rest? Hell no. Even if Nurkic is hurt, somebody needs to clog down the paint from driving guys like Shabazz Napier, Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum. So he's going to get rest as soon as we win this series. And one more before we get to um, to Let's say we sweep the Blazers. This is Alex Ajinca burner account. Will it have any effect on Boogie's resigning? I say absolutely not. He's coming back regardless of anything that happens in these playoffs. Barring the Pelicans winning a championship, even if that were to happen, I think you're just reinforcing yourself by bringing him back. Juvenile hail day says, are you guys okay? We are absolutely not okay. We are losing our minds right now. All right, let's get to Bud Lane. Um, Kevin, I know this is going to hurt you, and it's going to hurt me as well, but in totally different respects. The question is... Can we give Dell Dems and Alvin Gentry the praise they deserve after all of this negativity? Also, will Gale go over the luxury tax next year? Let's let's table the luxury tax thing. That's something we're definitely going to spend in a, an incredible amount of time uh, this offseason. But with that being said, uh, I know we were very critical of Cech Diallo's minutes in the second quarter. We wanted a Mecca Okafor out there collecting rebounds and frustrating of Nurkic. But Alvin Gentry stayed the course. He didn't put Diallo back out there, but he concentrated on Solomon Hill, Darius Miller, and Ian Clark. And it all paid off um, with great dividend. How much how much praise is Alvin Gentry not getting that he should get, I should say, for the 2-0 uh, series lead right now, Kevin?
3: I mean, he's getting a lot of praise, and I think it's well-deserved. I mean, you see in that all over the place, people talking about him uh, as potential coach of the year, or at least, you know, to be in the discussions. And look, he's earned that over over the last month and a half, for sure. You know, um, the team's played the way he wants to play. He has the roster to play the way he wants to play, and he's making smart rotations, substitutions. The offense is clicking. The defense is clicked in. I mean, the leaps we've made defensively have been incredible. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he deserves all that praise and, you know, I'm one of, I've been one of his harshest critics. So like, I don't, I'm happy to, you know, say I was wrong about him. I've always wanted to be wrong about him. Um, it's just, I didn't see it till, um, you know, he had a roster that worked, worked for him. Um, and now he does. And so I'm glad to watch it. It's fun basketball to watch. Um, I think, uh going back to that first question you brought up that you answered can Drew what's Drew Holiday's raise going to be I think you're a little bit wrong in the sense that hey let's get him a signature chew out of this series you know get him a raise that way you know um yeah. you, you know things like that endorsements are coming his way hopefully you know hopefully he's going to get the respect he's deserved too as a um you know an elite player in this league I mean he's an elite perimeter defender he's become a great scorer um, so I think this this playoff run should do wonders for him in, in endorsement wise and for the the team as well. Um, so there's those things, and of course we'll pay the luxury tax. I mean, look at this team and look at uh, the player we still get to bring back next year um, in bo- in Boogie. You know, like you're looking at this the way we're playing right now, the the versatility that Miritich is showing on the defensive end. You know, one of our most troubling matchups we've had this season has been with Utah. When you talk about you can have Boogie AD and Miritich out there to combat, you know, having Favors, Gobert, and Ingles in the front line, that's, you know, that's something that takes away that that kind of threat looking forward, you know. So, like, things are very bright for the Pelicans and Dell Dimps and Alvin DeTree and this whole team deserves all the respect that they're getting. Um, so it's, it, I'm glad that it's – we're we're seeing that
1: definitely uh, of the four starters for the Pelicans tonight uh, all of them are coming back with the exception of Rajon Rondo and we'll get into salary cap stuff over the summer right now the Pelicans are hard pressed against the cap once they bring back Boogie but they will have use of their mid-level exception should they uh, seek to ex- uh, exceed the luxury tax and there are ways to get back under it like uh, you know stretching Alexis Agensa trading Solomon Hill that sort of stuff Uh, Fish, I want you to pick an MVP. This is a question from Tejeda. His first question is, hypothetically, if they win the series early, do you think that gives them the momentum to hang with the Warriors? Uh, I think we'll get to that a bit later. We don't want to jinx ourselves. And if we do face off the Warriors, there'll be plenty of time to talk about that sort of thing. But his other question is, more impressive, Drew's ability to provide the team with a complete game or Gentry's adjustments. And I'm going to amend this question, Fish, to ask you, who is the MVP of this series right now? And obviously your three main candidates are Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, and Alvin Gentry.
0: Oh, I think Drew Holiday has been the MVP because, I mean, the game plan is solid. That I mean, the game plan is superb. But, I mean, in terms of the execution of it, I think Drew Holiday has exceeded any even reasonable coach's expectation of what he's going to do with the task that he's been given because it's not just what they're asking him to do defensively. Hey, go out there and you will always be defending either an all NBA player and Damian Lillard, who most people have on their first team, all the all NBA that I've seen or second. So one of the four or five best guards in the league, shut him down on that end. But on the other end, we need you to be either our primary or our first secondary option. You need, to be, you need to be both of those things. You need to be our Tony Allen and you need to be our, like Mike Conley to use a Southwest rival. They need him to do both of those things simultaneously. And not only is he doing it, but you can see, um, <clears throat> I can't remember the exact play, but he comes down and oh, there, there was the dunk on Nurkic with the left hand And then later on, um, there was either a tangled ball or a steal or something like that, and Drew Holiday jumps up, and I I guess he's yapping at a fan. That's not – I mean, that's not the player we've seen for the past five years, but he understands, hey, it's the playoffs, so he's taken over. But to jump on what Kevin's saying and what you're trying to ask about Gentry, I think both Kevin and I were always concerned that Gentry really didn't fit the personnel. And I think what we need to do, is, especially in giving gentry credit, and this isn't to give the credit to Chris Finch or to um, Darren Ehrman, it's to give credit to Gentry for him to not have so much ego that he's not willing to bring in top flight assistant coaches and listen to their suggestions. Because that is a quality that you don't really expect to have in a lot of head coaches and clearly it's something that Gentry has. I don't know if it's something that Gentry has always had or something Gentry would say is something that has developed in him since his golden state days, when he saw how Steve Kerr was running his staff with Ron Adam and with Alvin Gentry on the best on the bench, two very strong minded and extremely well-respected assistant coaches. But what he's doing there in terms of being willing to bring in Darren Ehrman, who I've always been a Darren Irwin fan since they brought him in and bringing in Chris Finch from Denver and re- redoing the offense with Chris Finch in mind. And I think Dell Demp said that in an interview, um, one of the interviews that, hey, we redid our whole offense this year for this season, and then we redid it again after DeMarcus Cousins went down. And what Gentry is doing, not only in, in the terms of the fact that he's making the right calls, but in the terms of the fact that he's willing to listen to his assistant coaches, that he has excellent assistant coaches on that bench helping him, that is one of the best compliments I think you can pay to somebody, is that you realize it's not all about you, and you're willing to go to whoever it is that might have the right answer and listen to them.
1: All right, we got to wrap up here. Ollie, are you back, sir? Yeah,
2: yeah, I'm done. All right. I just had a real quick thing. I just want to ask David because we've been in this together ever since we pretty much started riding at the bird rides. And when Drew Holiday came over here, we always had high expectations. We always saw glimpses. But, David, I got to ask you because I know my answer. Um, Have you ever seen anything remotely like this from Drew Holiday where we could expect him to get to this level and stay at this level, playing at peak Drew in the
0: most harshest of pressures that he's ever faced in his playing career? Uh, Like, He's so far exceeding my expectations, but at the same time, I remember what my expectations were when he had first come over from Philly and we're getting an all-star and a guy who was, what, 22, 23 years old at the time. Mm -hmm. The best of his career should be ahead of him. I probably envisioned him being about 90% of this, but what he's doing right now on both ends is incredible. Like, I can't even believe the offense has been great. And it's, I mean, it is exceeding expectations, but what he's doing on defense is practically unprecedented for a person carrying his offensive load, is what I would say. Like he is, he is Tony Allen barking at the crowd, yelling, first team all defense, good on defense, while also being the second option on offense. That's, it's just, it's mind blowing at this point.
2: Cool. Points. that's where i had it at too cool yeah i don't think any of us saw this coming um we were always you know giving him props left and right looking at all the advanced numbers i remember because we had to use numbers because it wasn't really with the eye you could see everything but yeah yeah i just wanted to get that out there for the folks that nobody whoever said that they saw this i drew holiday's line because we were the two proponents of them and we didn't even see this so just wanted to
1: clarify that yeah 33 cool. points and nine rebounds uh two blocks and two steals from Anthony Davis we haven't talked about him at all uh it was kind of a quiet night for him 22 and 13 sorry David are you trying to chime in no 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 go ahead okay sorry Uh, I'm gonna wrap it up here it's way past my bedtime uh but before I do Ollie it's a 2-0 lead this series is not done we knew that the Pelicans were going to be a threat in the Moda Center they've been road warriors all year long 24 wins however they have just 24 wins in the Smoothie King Center as well, and I don't think that I'm stepping on any toes by saying that New Orleans is not particularly the best uh, home crown in terms of uh, noise levels, six man, that sort of stuff this season. Um, some, sometimes the crowds, it, it can be a little bit more difficult to sell out of stadium. Sometimes with the heyo music playing in the background, uh, not the not the route. At, I think I can definitively say that when Drew Brees or Cam Jordan are sitting in the arena, that the that the ovation is louder for them than it is when the Pelicans need a stop in the fourth quarter. How important is it? I know that we're all feeling comfortable. We've won two in Portland. We're coming back to New Orleans with two yet to play. And at this point, we're all very confident that we could potentially sweep this series. But with that being said, how important is it that we sell out these games, that we bring it, that everybody loses their mind and creates as much noise because as comfortable as we are, the Blazers are not going to come to New Orleans and just roll over, Ollie. Yeah, of course.
2: Um, Preston, you bring up a good point, And of course, it's important that they sell out, which I actually have every, you know, I have no indication to think otherwise. I think it's definitely going to happen. But I wasn't there three years ago for the playoffs, nor was I there for when Chris Paul was there. But from everybody I've heard that attended to any of those games, it's just an entirely different animal, Preston. Whatever happened in the uh, regular season in terms of the crowd, their noise, the, just, you know, the capacity. It's, it's a different beast. It's going to fill up. It's going to be loud as shit. I'm going to say that word. Okay. <laughs> because it really, truly is. I mean, Kevin, you should really ask this question to Kevin because he was there. But again, what I've heard, I, I don't expect it to be any different. This is an exciting team. They're making noise for the first time. It seems like, like I said, ever since I really became a fan of this team where I watch every game. So
1: I, I'm expecting it, Preston. The fans will show up. I have no doubt. All right, I'm going to wrap it up here. I'm so sorry, Kevin and David. Uh, it's it's 1.45 over my time. I got to get to work early. With that being said, uh, incredible showing by the Pelicans by Drew Holiday. Thank you so much to you guys. Uh, eight questions uh, so far in just the 20 minutes that we've had this up. So thank you so much to you guys. Apologize we didn't get to spend more time on all of that. Thank you to Ali. Thank you to Kevin. Thank you to David. Thank you to the entire Bird Wright staff. We're approaching 100,000 downloads on this podcast. So thank you so much to all the help that you guys are getting Thank <laughs> you. Thank you to everybody who follows the Bird Rights. Uh, it's It's been going really well. The entire team has been crushing it. There's been multiple pieces of content up on the page uh, every single day, roundtables, uh, articles, stuff that Ali's been doing, radio spots. It's a great time to be a Pelicans fan. So make sure you show up in the Smoothie King Center, show your support, go to the games, watch the games, keep dialed in. Before I let you guys go, of course, you can follow follow Ali Cosell. It's not Olay Cosell. It's Ali Cosell at Ali Cosell sell uh kevin b for bounce and fish underscore tbw uh ollie talk about some of the content that we've got coming up in the next couple days i don't know
2: i guess we're going to be picking out maybe or no no we're not gonna be picking out we're gonna be looking at champagne let's just start it with that (laughs) okay let's not get too cocky too early i'm not trying to i'm not trust me kevin what about you
3: um well if we do get a game five i'll be doing the recap for that um before that um Friday at 1:40, I'm joining SB Nation Radio to talk about the series, um, and then also I think I'll be writing sort of a uh, in a in what what it's like in the arena during this uh, playoff run. Um, you know, sort of uh, how's it feel in the Smoothie King Center for these home games in the playoffs uh, compared to previous games, and just what the environment's like. And of course, the Pelicans finally answered the fans clamoring for some local hip hop and there we're going to have Manny Fresh at halftime game 3 which is very exciting so um looking forward to that and uh, that should be a fun piece to write because i think it's going to be a real good environment in there
1: And look for Kevin's uh, quote in Scott Kushner's latest article as well as Ali's four radio spots today. was with Scott Prather, Eric Asher, The Alan Michael Show, and SB Nation Radio. I'll be on The Alan Michael Show on Thursday. And uh, Fish, this is your second appearance, and I know that it was almost a year before we were able to get you. And uh, in my DM message with uh, Ali and Kevin, I told those guys a little bit earlier, I was like, Fish says that he's available tonight, and I, I know you guys know what that means we're going to lose tonight uh fish (laughs) fish take the floor uh wrap this up for us talk about your emotions talk about the bird rights if you want and how far you guys have come i know that you guys started from the bottom now you're here (laughs) uh just take the floor and talk about whatever you wish sir oh well actually i want to
0: follow up on uh what ollie was talking about with how well the uh the crowd reacts. I was in the building for the last time the Pelicans won a home game. um That was the Jared Jack game winner. I don't know if it was actually at the buzzer or not. I can't remember. But I remember right before he made that, they um played Crunk. And that was before Crunk was completely played out because we're talking seven years ago. And um, my wife and I, we were sitting behind the basket on the opposite end from where he hit that mid range jumper. But that entire game, that entire game was amazing. That was the game Chris Paul was literally, they were running 1-2 and 1-3 pick and rolls to get Kobe switched on him to then just just go to town on Kobe Bryant. And the crowd loved every minute of it. We haven't, <clears throat> even on the games where you see where the lower bowl looks like it's pretty filled, the upper bowl was pretty empty. A playoff game, the the upper bowl is going to be full too. the building gets so much louder and more responsive. And then like uh, Kevin said, we're going to have Manny fresh. I know we've been talking about that with our Twitter feed almost all year. How is he not involved somehow with the theme when your when your motto is do it big. So of course they're going to do it real big on their first home game, <laughs> but I do, I do want to let, um, I do want to talk about just real quick. I mean, the Pelicans cannot let up. They cannot let the Blazers start to get some confidence back because the Blazers have taken the malaise they had at the end of the regular season, and they've just carried it over right into the playoffs. And that was kind of Ollie's big thing. I expected that they would flip their playoff switch. They can't find the switch. You can't let them find the switch at this point. You have to bury them now before they remember that they're actually good at basketball. So but I think the playoff atmosphere is gonna be great. An eight o'clock start time local is not too terribly bad. I was worried they were going to push it to an eight thirty or a nine thirty start, which is incredible it's just terrible for trying to get the local fans in the in the arena. So all of that sounds great with the eight o'clock start, I think the crowd is going to be there and get this win. And then at that point, Portland's completely on the ropes. And I'm feeling very confident at this point because I don't think Portland remembers who they are as a basketball team. They've drew holiday has them completely out of it.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree. The way that they came out at the beginning of the the first quarter, we mentioned, uh, at length a bit earlier, uh, Terry Stouts called a timeout just two thirty into that game. And they were just making, uh, it, it, miscommunications, errors, turnovers, missed jumpers, floaters, right of the cup stuff that was just bouncing in and out. And you could see that their confidence was just shaken. And that they're just not in their element. They're not playing their best basketball right now. However, with that being said, coming out of the all-star break, this is a team that won 13 straight games. This is a team that was on fire. And I think a lot of it is also just catching these guys at the right time. Uh, Other than that final night game against Utah on the second night of Utah's back-to-back where they famously beat Golden State by 40. uh, They had lost, I think, five consecutive games to that point so they haven't been playing their best basketball mo harkless was great tonight in just 27 minutes i think he was like a positive 14 he was like five of six and he got shabazz napier's minutes tonight i think we might see a little bit less from evan turner going forward and a little bit more of shabazz napier who was good in his first 14 minutes anyway i was at those two games in 2011 um i want to say in game four when the pelicans won Chris Paul had some kind of incredible triple double, but you're absolutely right, Fish. I mentioned that on a previous podcast. Uh, the, the play of the game was actually an assist to Jared Jack right inside the free throw stripe. Um, I remember that pretty vividly. I remember exactly what I where I was sitting um, in the lower bowl, but behind the behind the basket and what a thrill it was. I was actually videotaping my dad at the time to try to get his reaction as it happened. It's one of the the best memories that I have as a Pelicans fans. So hopefully this continues. We can't let up, we can't rest anybody. We have to just go for the throat at this point. Uh, Thank you to you guys. We've, we've gone on long enough. It's almost one o'clock, even where you guys are two o'clock where I am. Thank you to you guys so much. We'll be coming back at you guys tomorrow. I'll be on SB nation radio uh kevin will be on there friday we're going to have content continue to roll out towards you guys with our next game is on thursday and we've got you guys covered for now i'm preston ellis ali Cosell, david fisher kevin barrios let's go pals We hope you've enjoyed listening to the bird calls on OTG and nothing but nut here on dash radio. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment to rate us on iTunes, retweet, share with your friends, and most importantly, subscribe today.
0: E-cigs don't burn tobacco leaves and they come in lots of flavors. That's what tobacco companies tell you. Here are three things tobacco companies don't say. One, many teens don't know their flavored e-cigs have nicotine. two, Nicotine is a poison that can rewire the teen brain. Three, 80% of kids who tried vaping did it because of the flavors. So even when it tastes like candy, nicotine is brain poison. Go to flavorshookkids.org
1: for more. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth, teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis.
0: How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, Pineapple? Truth!
1: It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at Geico.com.
0: What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, wizard hat?
1: What? Geico, 15 minutes
2: could save you 15% or more.